0: Welcome back to the Spirits Guide Podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating world of spirits, books, movies, music, TV shows, anything really that I feel like connects us as human beings. This is Season 3, Episode 21. I want to start off by thanking you guys for, I don't know, for still being here, especially after... Last week's kind of debacle. Oh, boy. Um, Just to kind of show. uh, Yeah, there's a can pop. I got a feeling this probably isn't going to turn out good for for me. Um, Yeah, season three, episode 21. You know, again, thank you guys so much for for being here. Um, Thank you for surviving last week's kind of cluster episode. I'm not as sick as I was last week. I'm still not 100%, uh, but feeling a little bit better. Uh, and hopefully by the time this episode actually comes out, I'll be feeling a lot better because when this episode hits, I'm going to be in Louisville, Kentucky. So I'll be putting this episode out while I'm there, um, but obviously getting all the recording done before I go away. I can't wait to be there. Um, It's been four years since I've been to Louisville. Uh, It was a couple years before that. So this is actually the third time that I'm going for sort of whiskey-based experiences. It's the fourth time that I will have been in Louisville. Uh, The first time was for a restaurant. Uh, It was a, a bar that I was managing that was a national chain whose corporate office was in Louisville. Uh, so it's kind of the fourth time I've been there for spirits related things. Uh, but this is the third time for whiskey related, and it just seems kind of fitting for really where I am at, at this point in my, my life, and my, my spirits career. Um, I will say that there will be four more episodes in this season. I'm going to kill it at season three, episode 25, So four more episodes after this, and then I'm going to take the summer off. And quite honestly, I don't know if this podcast will come back uh, in the fall or if I will move on to other podcast ideas that I have and other interests that I have. And if that is the case, then I want to start now uh, by thanking everybody who has either been on the podcast with me, uh, listened to the podcast, been around since the beginning, you know, have commented to me, you know, things you like and things you don't like. Uh, it has been an incredible, incredible ride. You know, this is something that it, it seems like at this point in the podcasting sort of universe that every numbnut wants to do a, a podcast uh, but I wanted to do it I don't know, five years ago, six years ago. You know, I bought the the equipment to even do the podcast. I think before I even started working at the store. So maybe even longer than that. Uh, it's been something I've always wanted to do, and you know, I've talked about it. My original ideas and concepts revolved more around music. Somehow, it just sort of evolved into this spirit space thing. But I also have some other sort of podcast ideas in my head, Um, just other things that I want to talk about, other parts of my voice uh, that I want to visit. And it really does seem fitting that in a time in, I guess, in in my sort of spirit's career working at the store, it seems like all anybody wants to talk about is bourbon. So even in the whiskey landscape, it's become this sort of narrow-focused just bourbon-centric thing that is almost becoming, I don't know, redundant to me. Um, you know how many new twists on the same old thing can you you kind of come up with? I don't. It it just within the spirits world. I want to talk about more than bourbon, um, but within my world and to be kind of true and authentic to myself, I want to talk about more than just spirits. Um, there's just so much more to life. Uh, than that for me and so I really want to look into exploring uh some maybe other again podcast ideas and concepts and who knows maybe after some time away I get you know reinvigorated and I come back in the fall stronger than ever uh, but if I don't again thank you guys all so so much and really over the summer I'll be contemplating my my career um because really, Again, there are so many amazing people that I've gotten to to come in contact with and know and talk to who are just, they are the best of what this spirits universe has to offer. You know, connections and, you know, getting to put the right bottle in the right hands of the right people for, you know, bachelor parties and weddings and, you know, Father's Day gifts and, People coming up and you know thanking me for those bottles or talking to me about you know things that they've tasted or sharing samples with me. Those are all the best parts of the spirits universe, and yet you know there's the the, the customers who brag about having 32 bottles of Blantons at home and you know talk to people you know behind the counter where I work about. Buying Larceny Barrel Proof because in two years, it's going to be worth three times as much. And to me, one, it 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 shouldn't be. Uh, there's no reason it should be, especially with an item like Larceny Barrel Proof that gets released three times a year. Uh, and that people are starting to get back catalogs of Larceny and Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. There's way too much of that stuff in the market. That I don't know that it's going to increase in value. Um, but the fact that people are buying... A consumable product as a collectible and bragging about it. And my frustration with those people because every bottle that they're taking and hoarding is a bottle that somebody who is generally interested and in wants to drink it and taste it, you're taking it out of their hands. And then once you have it in your hands, you're going to turn around and extort even more money out of that consumer. By saying, now I will sell it to you for even more money than you should be paying for it uh, so I can profit off of your desire to consume something, you know, that is supposed to be for everybody. Uh, that is the true American spirit. And maybe that is the American spirit of taking things that we should be able to afford, uh, gobbling them, up, hoarding them, and then selling them to people at rates that they can't afford. Um, so that part of the bourbon world is frustrating. Um, and also just working for people who have sort of disengaged themselves uh, from their business while maintaining a, a level of confidence and arrogance and ego about their accomplishments uh, also gets to be a, a tad bit frustrating uh, at times as well. And who knows, maybe it's just uh, that time in my life to move on. Going to be a lot of uh, self-assessment going on uh, over the summer. But I don't want to get too depressing. We still have this episode and four more to go. And yet, most of them are going to be bourbon-centric because after this week, like I said, I'm down in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm going to do a lot of recording down there. And, And let me be very, very perfectly clear. I still love drinking bourbon. I still love the actual histories and the stories of of bourbon. So whether I'm doing this podcast or not, whether I'm working at the store or not, doesn't change who I am or what I enjoy. Uh, It just means that I'm going to be able to explore and expand more of my horizon for what I can enjoy. Um, But I'm not going to ever stop enjoying bourbon. So while I'm down there, and that's really what this episode is going to kind of entail in, in, in and capture is I want to reflect a little bit on the last time I was there uh, and even a little bit about the time before when I was there uh, and also kind of preview and look forward to what I'm hoping to experience when I'm there uh, next week for me or this week for you as you're listening to it. All right. I cracked this can. Uh, this came into my possession today. You know, my my studio here is filling up with more and more RTD samples. They're just hitting every single week. Uh, again, things that, you know, over the past couple months, I talk about in the opening sort of segment of the podcast. And now I'm realizing that there's so many that are already out there that I didn't even know were there. This is from a company called Beacon. functional cocktail beacon with Hovenia dulcis fruit. I don't know what the hell that is. Um, Hovenia dulcis has been used in Asia for at least 600 years and imparts subtle notes of pear and molasses along with a ruby hue to make this Mai Tai delicious and uniquely functional. Wow. <coughs> Somebody double majored in English and marketing. Uh, it makes this drink functional. So, yes, Beacon with Hovenia Dulcis Fruit. This is their rum Mai Tai RTD ready to drink. Pre made Mai Tai made with rum. 6% alcohol, slim 12 ounce can. No idea on the price point because I don't really care. Um, Because RTDs are just not the rage that all the publications want them to be. Now, to kind of emphasize that point, I just read a statistic on RTD sales in this country. The number one brand of RTD in this country, without a doubt, High Noon. uh, With 16.4 or whatever, over 16 million cases sold last year. The number two, which I believe is Cutwater Spirits, if I remember correctly, um, I kind of remember all the top seven. But number two, Cutwater, at like two point four million cases. If you took Cutwater, multiplied its sales times five, not even close. Uh, if you multiply, if you added up numbers two through seven, they don't equal what the number one is. So RTD sales are not huge. High noon sales are huge, not RTDs. So I don't know why we keep getting inundated with these, why everybody thinks it's a good idea to get in this market. Uh, But let's give this one a try. Beacon Functional Cocktails Rum Mai Tai. Here we go. All right. So it doesn't taste terrible. It's not a big sugar bomb, although there's no nutritional facts on it. You guys know how I feel about that. If you don't put nutritional facts, it's because you don't want us to know what the nutritional facts are. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't taste cloyingly sweet. It doesn't taste sugary. In fact, it doesn't really taste like anything. It's lightly carbonated, lightly flavored. Uh, for six percent, take another sip. Very lightly carbonated, almost. I would say is like a preservative because you once you have it in your mouth, like you get two tingles of bubbles on your tongue, and then the bubbles just sort of. They just sort of dissipate. That's really weird. It certainly doesn't taste like any Mai Tai I've ever made. Uh, And that's, I think, kind of my other fear with some of these products. Um, Although, again, I wonder if the the younger generation and the people who drink these products even care about this. But that doesn't taste like any Mai Tai. Now, if you're a 22-year-old kid, And you're like, oh, I've heard of Mai Tais. People say they're really cool. And you pick up this product and you drink it and you go like, whoa, that's what a Mai Tai tastes like. I like that. It's not what a Mai Tai tastes like. Um, And then you're going to go to a bar, but I I guess sort of post-COVID, there's not really a lot of great bartenders out there who can make great Mai Tais either. Um, So, yeah, who knows if anybody even cares if it tastes like a Mai tire, or what it tastes like, it's. I guess it it is what it is. Not something that's going to show up at my store. Not something that I would ever buy. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you're listening, again, don't buy or not buy anything just because I tell you it's good or tell you it's not good. Uh, make your own opinions, but in my opinion, that's just not... It, It's not the worst RTD I've had. I will give it that much. Um, I just don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't see it. It's largely forgettable. Like, I think if I wasn't staring at this can like a weird, creepy guy at the end of the bar, um, I probably would have already forgotten what it tastes like because it doesn't really taste like anything. All right, so I'm going back to Kentucky. I cannot wait uh, to be there because if you guys haven't been to Louisville, I mean, the city is just, it's awesome. The people are awesome. The tours, I mean, I'm fortunate that I have been able to get on some tours uh, kind of as a VIP or get to do different style tours because of my sort of standing in the industry. But even so, some of the tours we've taken, you know, where I can put a phone call into a a sales rep or a supplier rep and go like, hey, um, I'm going to be at Jim Beam. Uh, Can you guys get me on a tour? Now, when I did the Heaven Hill tour, uh, they put us on a special tour that was just... Uh, myself and the group of people that I was with. And we get to see parts of the distillery that most people don't get to see. When we went to Jim Beam, they just kind of lumped us on a regular run-of-the-mill tour. You know, the the good is like there's an energy there. There's a crowd of people. Uh, you know, when you're on a tour and there's just three or four of you and the tour guide is trying to talk to you, you can tell it's a struggle to kind of um, sort of, convey the energy, uh, having, you know, taught myself, albeit bartending school, but there were classes when I had, you know, eight, ten people there and the energy that you were getting back and forth and the conversation and the dialogue is great. Uh and I taught classes of two people where it was literally just you could hear the sound of crickets and brain cells dying uh in between. So, you know, it's it's a little bit more energetic with a, a bigger group. Uh the downside is, you know, if you know anything about bourbon or you know as much as a lot of us do at this point, uh sometimes the tours are a little bit generic. Uh you get the whole spiel of, you know, Kentucky is American spirit. And it, you know, bourbon is America's spirit and, you know, bourbon doesn't necessarily have to be made in Kentucky, but we here in Kentucky believe that the best bourbons in America do come from Kentucky. You kind of get that at every distillery. You get the whole has to be made from 51 percent corn, has to be aged in new charter. You get all sort of the basic uh, sort of specs so that it's accessible to everybody. That being said, every tour is a little a little different and the grounds in the history um, are sometimes staggering. You know, being at Buffalo Trace felt like we were walking with with ghosts. I mean, it's just, it's a magic place that you can feel energy in the air. You can feel, you know, a hundred years of people working and living there and, you know, just beautiful to look at and getting to go in the rick houses there. Uh, was a, a fantastic part of that tour. Um, like I said, Heaven Hill was a totally different... We get to be behind the scenes, sort of in the distillery, but like the nuts and bolts of how everything works. Um, and Jim Beam, Jim Beam was just awesome. Um, one of the things you notice when you're in Kentucky and you're driving through these distilleries, not a lot of traffic on the road. Um, and a lot of the roads you're going down are just miles and miles of back roads with... You know, either open fields or horse farms or rickhouses kind of out in fields. It's just very, very peaceful and serene. And when you come up to Jim Beam in Claremont, uh, it's set way back off the road. It's set on top of a hill. And the tour at Jim Beam didn't really go into the rickhouse. But it kind of took us around through... A lot of of everything, and there's a there's a bar on site. Most of these, you know, tours have tasting rooms where you can wrap up and you know taste things when the tour is over. Jim Beam had a bar. They have a barbecue smokehouse there. Uh, Jim Beam's original house is there. Uh, the gift shop is full of all kinds of stuff, which is another thing that when you're down there, go into the gift shops in all these different places. A lot of times there are, you know. Either single barrel offerings that are only available there, at the gift shop. Obviously, all the swag and T-shirts and hats and you know keychains and bar gear and all that stuff It's just kind of a cool part of it. And and again, just the people there are awesome. Uh, but when we went to Jim Beam, which was one of the last places that I went the last time we were there, um, it was me, uh, the BSO, who's been here on the podcast. Uh, and my boss at work, who was actually leaving a day before us, so it was the last distillery he was at, and we went there, and you know we had barbecue lunch and had a couple of cocktails. We did the tour. And when you get to the end of the tour, actually right before the end of the tour, which was super cool, um, they have a whole room at Jim Beam of old uh, whiskey decanters, which. I am fascinated with. I think they're super cool. And the more you learn about how bourbon was just a dog shit dead product in the 70s and 80s. So all you guys out there who are like, I love my bourbon. I always love my bourbon. It's America's spirit. 70s, 80s, and 90s, none of you cared about it. And how do we know this? Well, because of the invention of Blanton's, which was a way to get people interested in premium bourbon. Same thing with Booker's. One of the other kitschy things they did was they put them, they put whiskey in decanters, uh, all different kinds, cars, trucks. Um, I have them that look like little statues. Wild Turkey did it. Jim Beam did it. A bunch of different distilleries did it as a way to get people interested in their product. And I actually have a few of them uh, here in the house because, again, I'm just sort of sucker for antique advertising in general. But they have a room at Jim Beam that is just full of all these old decanters. I don't know if they're worth anything or not. Um, You know, I don't think any of them worth millions of dollars. But because they made so many of them and they were everywhere. But then when you get to the end of the Jim Beam tour, the last thing they brought us to was the bottling room. Um, And they were bottling single-barrel Knob Creek on that day. And so you get to see how the bottle gets filled, gets corked, and then it gets dipped by hand into this vat of wax that kind of seals it in. And so you get to watch this whole process. And as part of the, the tourist experience, you actually get the opportunity to buy A bottle of knob creek single barrel now again this was four years ago i don't know if they still do this um but it was a a very fun exciting part of the tour for me and because we had set ours up directly through jim beam because of my sort of state of you know being in the industry they were kind enough at jim beam uh to give me and my boss a bottle of knob creek nine year single barrel 120 proof with my name etched in the bottle. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out on Monday, if you scroll back on the Instagram page back to last Tuesday, I actually posted a picture of it. Uh, it's part of my profile picture. And that's what I have in the glass in front of me. Oh, man. This is one that I I brought home. And I didn't know when to open it. I didn't know, I, you, you know, it's a once in a lifetime bottle. What do you do with it? And it kind of led me to the the thought process of when everything is special, then nothing is special. And, and my friend Murph always telling me like, what are you saving it for? Eventually you'll be dead and somebody else will drink it for you. That I, I f- believe that when I get up to a certain amount, of followers on facebook or instagram uh that was how i rewarded myself and if you go back maybe on the facebook page i think i actually cracked it live on video but then i didn't want to finish it because i knew i could never replace it um and it's a special bottle it's just not a everyday, you know tuesday night just banging it out watching the celtics get get themselves smoked in a game seven it's not that kind of drinker. It's a special occasion. And so as I now get ready to go back to Louisville, it seemed appropriate to go back and revisit uh, this. And I don't remember the last time I actually tasted this. But man, on the nose, this is beautiful. And I get the, this is an irreplaceable bottle because it is a single barrel. And quite honestly, I haven't seen Knob Creek single barrel in a couple of years. But if you get a chance to get... Knob Creek may be uh, again. I've talked about it being my barometer for you know price and quality with the twelve year being sixty five bucks and a hundred proof. Um, but the single barrel, the last time I saw it, wasn't much more expensive than that. The regular Knob Creek nine year, great great value. All right, here we go. Oh, man, it just smells like like caramel and spice and toasty oak again 120 proof 9 years thank you to the great folks at jim beam for this mm. you know we always talk about how it doesn't drink its proof point that does not drink its proof point that is fantastic mm. And even though I didn't drink it until I got home from that trip, tasting it now puts me right back on the Jim Beam grounds. Man, that is so... And the flavor just, it coats the tongue. I still have a tiny, tiny bit of this left. Um, Yeah. I'm going to savor every last drop of this. All right. I'm going to take a quick little break, uh, line up some bottles of some places that I've already been and some bottles of places that I'm looking forward to going uh, and talk a lot more about the time that I spent there. Because again, when I went to Louisville, I wasn't doing the podcast either. So there's still some stories I haven't told. Uh, and I promise when I wrap this up, some of you guys have heard this story, but I'm gonna cap off this episode uh, with the greatest drinking adventure story uh, I potentially have in my arsenal. So uh, go grab a glass and uh yeah, meet me back here in a second. <laughs> Sweet cork pop sound. My goodness, I got glasses everywhere. I got bottles everywhere. Oh, if you guys could see the studio right now, what what an absolute uh, mess this is. Is um oh, just bottles and samples and glasses, and I know it sounds like a horrible problem to have. Um, but yeah, here we are. So yeah, Spirit Sky podcast, season three, episode 21. Uh amazing that we get so far. And thank you guys again for for being here and taking a little time. Out of your week to hang out and listen to me kind of rant and ramble uh and thank you again for surviving last week's uncut unfiltered uh just drunken debacle. And again, what I'm talking about is my upcoming trip to Kentucky which, you know, is literally less than a week away and I cannot wait to be there and uh, I, you know I'm not I'm not bragging that I'm going to Kentucky uh I, I just sharing my experiences and hopefully inspiring like if there's any of you out there who have been contemplating like you know, I've been thinking about getting down there it's it's on the list you know you know I'd really love to do it I am here to tell you it is absolutely positively something you should do i mean obviously especially if you're a bourbon nut um but just in general so much of a piece of american history um architectural history there's just so much going on the people are fantastic the food is amazing and you know a lot of the things that we chase up here you know Weller 12, and you know, Pappy Lot B, and older expressions of Pappy, and Michter's 10, and Russell's single barrels, and all these sort of elusive bourbons that people go nuts for here. I feel like every restaurant uh, that I went to down there, and again, this is the third time I'm gonna be there. Specifically for whiskey stuff, since I started at the store. Um, so I've been to a few, not a ton, but I've been to a few of the restaurants down there. And it just seemed like every place we went to had a full menu of, you know, Weller and Weller single barrels and William Heaven Hill 27 year, which I tried the last time I was there. I'll never admit what I paid for that pour but it was worth every penny. Why? Because it's a a once-in-a-lifetime pour. Did it taste that good? Yes, it actually did taste that good. All right, so that sweet cork pop that you just heard, that is off of a bottle of Eagle Rare. And again, talking about things that are hard to find here, when you go to Kentucky, some things are everywhere. And some things are just as hard to find as they are here. Um, Eagle Rare, famously made at the Buffalo Trace Distillery. And Buffalo Trace Distillery is is special to me um, because when we went the, what I call the first time, I was actually again there when I worked for the Jillian's Corporation years and years before this. Uh, But this was seven years ago now, Um, six, maybe seven years ago. The first time we went, I went with my friend Chris uh, and the BSO, again, who has done the podcast here. And we actually drove. I want to say it was like 15, 17 hours that it took us to get there. You know, we left. It was 430 in the morning here. We got there. It was like 730 at night there. We drove straight through. Long, long road trip, but the benefit was we were driving uh, so we could buy as much beer and whiskey and whatever and just throw it all in the back of my friend Chris's minivan. Uh, There was no restrictions on the amount of product that we could bring back. And the first place that we went on that trip, you know, we drove down the next day. We had a distillery tour set up. Uh, I was really kind of young in my whiskey career at that time. And I just kind of put it out to some sales reps that I wasn't even really close to yet. Just saying like, Hey, I'm going down to Kentucky. Uh, You know, I would love to go to some of these places and they're like, yeah, no people love it when you do tours down there, you know, and they were very gracious in setting up tours, uh, which was a whole lot easier six years ago uh, than it is now. And really the first place that I you know, went to when I was there was Buffalo Trace. It just logistically, that's the way it worked out that I think we left on a Sunday again and in our Monday morning was set up to be at Buffalo Trace. And, you know, I know I I talk a lot of shit about the Buffalo Trace products um, and not because of the quality of the product. Again, kind of talking from last week's podcast, like I'm not, I'm not knocking the actual product itself. I knock the availability. I knock the price gouging that goes on. And I knock the cult of people that make these things bigger and more important than what they are. But the product itself is fantastic. And so, you know, I've got some Eagle Rare here. It's a 10-year-old bourbon. If you can find it for 40 bucks or less, it's a great, great deal. Um, so, you know, our first tour is Buffalo Trace and we arrived there and I, I've got to tell you guys, I mean, there's a lot of the distilleries that I've been to that I love for different reasons. Um, and that's such a, a great thing to point out because, you know, the landscape at Buffalo Trace is much different than the landscape at Four Roses and completely different than the landscape at Wild Turkey and much different than what it was like at Woodford Reserve. And then Jim Beam is a whole nother animal and Heaven Hill is a whole different beast. And then Barton is cool for its own reasons. So they're all a little different. Granted some of the dummy down tours are starting to get similar over the years, uh, but Buffalo Trace was just There was something special about being on the grounds of Buffalo Trace. And prior to that, the only distillery I had ever actually been to was Hill Rock out in the Hudson Valley in New York. And that was a really tiny uh, craft distillery, dare I say, micro distillery. And when I got to Buffalo Trace and saw the magnitude of the fermenting tanks and, you know, Hill Rock had this, you know, basically like a three bay sink. And then you go to Buffalo Trace and you've got to go up to the third floor to look down into their fermenting tanks. at you know, they're 60,000 gallons a piece. And there's a ton of them up there. You know, to see the process of tanker trucks just rolling up full of corn, dropping corn through these grates underneath them that kind of get ground up and sucked into the, you know, into the distillery. And, you know, just to see the process on that level was, it it was just, it was overwhelming, but there's something about the property at Buffalo trace that feels like it feels like you're walking through time. And I said it to the guys when I was there of like, I feel like I'm walking with ghosts. Like I can feel the presence of the people who walked these grounds before me. And, you know, at Buffalo trace, Amazing Rick houses, which I was fortunate enough to get to go in. Um, the distillery itself was great. Uh, uh, Colonel uh, Taylor's uh, house is still in the property. The George Stag house is still in the property. Uh, there was just so many cool little houses and places that we could go visit. We get to have a great lunch uh, hosted by them on site. And it was right after... You know, they were remodeling the visitor center and kind of dug up the ground and found some old fermenting tanks kind of in the back corner of that building that they unearthed. And they're now reusing as part of their visitor center as well. Buffalo Trace is everything it is hyped up to be to go visit. Now, from what I understand these days, you can't just show up in Kentucky, go to Buffalo Trace. And get on a tour. You have to book it weeks, maybe even months in advance. Uh, one of the first things that they told us when we got there, hey, if you're expecting to find Pappy here, <laughs> you're not. Um and you know, the tour guides are great. You know, Freddie Johnson, maybe the most famous tour guide in all of Kentucky. Uh, we weren't lucky enough to get him on our tour, uh, but I know other people who have done the tour and got to tour with Freddie. And when you wrap up the tour, you know, they bring you up for a tasting, which is pretty customary on all these tours, as they usually conclude with getting to taste a few products from whatever distillery you're at. And so you go into like the visitor center, which has the gift shop and all the swag. Uh, and you go upstairs and there's a tasting bar. And there's a documentary that's on Hulu. And it's called Neat, The Story of Bourbon. I think I've talked about it before. Uh, And Freddie Johnson is actually in that documentary. uh, And it actually shows him doing the tasting from the bar that I'm talking about at Buffalo Trace. Which was really awesome. And, you know, again, our tour guide was great. While we were there, we kind of look off to the left. And against the wall, way over to the left, it actually looks like a jail cell. And it's got prison doors on it. So it piqued our curiosity. And we took a walk over and looked in. And, you know, there are people who work at Buffalo Trace. And they're bringing two-wheelers in and going into this cell. And they're dropping cases. And when we looked around inside this jail cell, it was all old bottles of Weller, Pappy, Blanton's, you know, Everything George T. Stagg, OFC, uh, you know, all the bottles you never actually see out in the wild were all in there. We kind of joked like, oh, ah, what if we could get in? And then you realize that there's probably 15 cameras all <laughs> focused on that prison door watching you the whole entire time. Uh, and I mean, I was so naive at that point that I hadn't realized that the whole Pappy theft scandal had already happened there, um, which would also kind of explain the heightened level of security. All right, I've got a glass of Eagle Rare that's been sitting here under my nose for a couple of minutes now. It's a shame not to dive into it. You know, Buffalo Trace mysterious about its mash bill, so you don't really know for sure. Um, But again, this is 10-year bourbon. Great package. Here we go. Mm. now i like eagle rare ton of flavor i don't find it to be incredibly overly complicated simple soft 90 proof a lot of flavor um yeah that is fantastic um I, I don't drink enough Eagle Rare, obviously, because I don't get access to enough Eagle Rare. Uh, but every time I do, it's, it's you know, I remember exactly how tasty and fantastic it is. You know, so, I mean, that Buffalo Trace Tour was awesome. And getting to walk through the rickhouses, and then you see the barrels that have been sort of marked as like, this one's going to be Weller, this one's going to be Pappy. Uh, you actually get to touch those barrels. It, it's pretty fantastic. And I don't know how to accurately describe what it's like to be inside one of those rickhouses and smell just the humidity in the air. You smell the wood and the distillate. And there's a moisture that is just anybody who's been in a rickhouse. And I, I say that too; they know immediately what I'm talking about. It's just really hard to to accurately sort of convey what that aroma is. But you never forget it. I promise you it is the most amazing smell uh, for bourbon. And, yeah, it was just – it was a great, great time. You know, you see like the liquid kind of – you see the barrels are all a little misshapen because of the, the expansion and the contraction. And you see some of them have like some seepage and – you know they kind of tell you don't touch the barrels. We kind of, when nobody was looking, literally <laughs> licked some of the the seepage on the outside of the barrel just to say we tasted pappy straight from the barrel. Um, but yeah, Buffalo Trace, just, it, I don't want to say Disneyland because it wasn't like a playground. It was just it was the pinnacle, and that was where I started. And I, you know, when you start at Buffalo Trace, everything else at least on that trip, kind of became anticlimactic. Like, every place else was great, but nothing was what Buffalo Trace was as far as a visitor's experience. And that was the only distillery tour we had set up on that first day. So, you know, we wrapped up and we're getting ready to kind of head back towards the hotel and we're driving through and we stayed we stayed in Louisville. So again, if you're kind of thinking about booking down there, I booked you know the last two times and this time I booked my stays right in Louisville. Which is great because you're in the, you know, you're in the heart of Louisville. The thing is is all the distilleries, the major ones are like an hour and 15 minutes away. So if you're in Louisville, Buffalo Trace is like an hour and 15 minutes east of Louisville. And it's really not a bad drive. There's no, there was no traffic on the highway. They were pretty much straight shots. And then when you get out to Buffalo Trace, there's a cluster of distilleries that are all sort of located near each other. So when we left Buffalo Trace and we're kind of going down the road, we pass a sign that says, you know, Four Roses Distillery right around the corner sweet cork pop sound and so you know just sort of on a whim we drove down the road and there we were it was four roses um you know Spanish architecture under the buildings were gorgeous it looks like something that would be in like northern Mexico Southern California Spanish style architecture and it was literally I can't imagine this would ever happen again but you know it was kind of the end of the day I believe we were the last tour uh, and it was just three of us and again this wasn't a scheduled industry tour we just kind of walked in and like yeah sure we'd love to do the tour and they were awesome and gracious and again the the landscape the architecture uh, getting to see the fermentation tanks and Four Roses still uses wooden fermentation tanks and it's a wood that's basically in extinct so they can't they can't even remake the fermentation tanks at four Roses it was very cool and you know the other cool thing is there's usually a room in a lot of these distilleries you know I talked about it at Jim Beam there's a room with all the old decanters um you know at Buffalo Trace there's a room with old sort of versions of their products with different labels at four Roses you know there were bottles of Four Roses when it was a blended whiskey and a light whiskey and um, you know, four roses black label that only went to Japan and you get to see the history and the evolution of the brand. And it was just yeah, it was just such a a beautiful, beautiful spot. And it's so again, if you're contemplating like going down to Kentucky, it's absolutely positively worth it. If you're wondering what distilleries you should visit. Obviously, Buffalo Trace is up there, Um, but Four Roses, Four Roses is also a must, must visit. All right, so what I have poured myself is a product that wasn't even in production when I was there six years ago, and this is the Four Roses Small Batch Select. Now, Four Roses, famous for having 10 different recipes It's basically two different high rye mash bills and five different yeast strains. So each of those mash bills with the five different yeast strains makes 10 different mashes. And this is sort of the newest permanent addition to their lineup. It is a blend of one, two, three, four, six different recipes, um, People go like, what's the difference between like the Yellow Label and the Small Batch and the Single Barrel and the Small Batch Select? Um, single Barrel is obviously only one recipe. Uh, the yellow Label is all 10 recipes. Uh, this one here is only six of the recipes. And it's right there. There's a little tag around the neck. It's also the highest in proof point of the everyday release. This one is 104 proof. Like I said, this one wasn't available uh, when we were there. Uh, But when this came out, man, when this came out, I took another road trip just before COVID. uh, We drove out to New York uh, because anybody who doesn't know, different states get different products. Um, And New York had this well before Massachusetts did. And I remember bringing a bottle of this back from New York and tasting it and thinking like, Oh, this is the greatest Four Roses product. Out of all, I love the yellow label. It's great every day, affordable, easy to drink, 80-proofer, knock them back. Love the small batch for the money. Uh, single barrel is always great. But out of the four, by and far, the small batch select is its the winner. Oh, man. Spicy from all that rye. Great notes of caramel in the nose. All right, here we go. Mm. Mm. Oaky, buttery, caramel, peppercorns, some citrus in there, like, like orange, maybe a hint of cherry. I absolutely love this bourbon. You know, when I was talking about staple bottles on my bar, and I I mentioned Four Roses Yellow Label, Four Roses Small Batch Select has also always been a staple on my bar ever since it's been available. So that was, you know, the first time, or the second time, um, the first time I was down there for whiskey purposes. That was our sort of opening day, was waking up, going to Buffalo Trace, Going to Four Roses, and then heading back to the hotel, uh, and then we kind of hit the nightlife in Louisville. The last time I went there was to do my Bourbon Stewart course, um, or the Executive Bourbon Stewart course. And if anybody, you know, is interested in this, and I, I'm not getting paid, I don't, I'm, I'm endorsing it, but they don't have any idea who I am. There's a great online course you can take through a school called moonshine university and it's a bourbon Stewart course. You can do it online. Uh, they send you great reading material. Uh, you have to read it, do an online test. Uh, and then when I did mine, I had to put together a flight, um, in real time for my exam. They also do what's called the executive bourbon Stewart program that you actually have to go to Louisville, Kentucky, take it there. Um, and it was awesome. It was a whole day of learning the history of bourbon, learning, you know, all the regulations and guidelines and all the specs of bourbon, getting to actually make a batch of bourbon, which they have a still on site. And you get to, you know, pitch the yeast and, and you know put the corn in and, and put the barley in. You get to do the whole production process. Uh, they take you next door to a company called Flavor Man. Uh, where you learn some sensory training on how to pick up different notes. There's a written exam in the end. And then you get your little, uh, Stave and Thief Society challenge coin, which I have to remember to bring with me because if you run into somebody else who's a Stave and Thief member and they don't have their coin on you, they have to buy you a drink. Good to know. Um, I also have my little staven Thief pin that I'll be wearing with me everywhere I go in Kentucky. Now, anybody up here usually goes like, oh, uh, Moonshine University. But when you're in Kentucky, it's a big deal. People notice that pin. Um, They notice that coin. It's a big deal. When I did my class, I was in the class with people who worked at Wilderness Trail. Um, You know, I went to the Evan Williams experience while I was down there that time, and they were like, oh. Stave and Thief, come with us. We've got some special stuff uh, for you to taste. So it's a big deal down there. It's a lot of fun, uh, and it's a great way to kind of you know, amp up your, your bourbon knowledge. Uh, and they also teach you about Irish whiskey and Canadian whiskey and Scotch whiskey as well. So it's a great, great course. And that was really the centerpiece of why we were down there the last time we went. And... I'm a logistics guy, so I try to cram as much into uh, my tours in my days as possible. So we landed on Sunday afternoon the last time we were there, and I realized I had some free time. So I set myself and my crew up with a quick little tour over at Copper and King's. So I think we landed at uh, noontime, and by 3 o'clock, we were at Copper and King's. And it's, again, if you're going to Louisville, it's bourbon, 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 bourbon. Copper and Kings breaks it up in a way that is, it's just, it's a fun tour. It's a great place. The people are amazing. And what they do is they make brandy. And it's a product that I don't know why more people don't kind of grab onto they make brandy that's bottled at 92 proof and it's aged in bourbon barrels for like 35 bucks on the shelf here. Uh, they also make apple brandy. They also make absinthe. They make probably five or six different gins. They make what they call destillaires. So like a chocolate liqueur uh, and some other flavored liqueurs. The place was fantastic. Uh, it's kind of built out of old metal storage containers Uh, They're now in part owned by Constellation, so they've got a little bit more money behind them. Uh, Just a great, great place to visit and a way to break up the sort of bourbon, 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 bourbon um, and learn about a different spirit that in Kentucky is as much a part of the, the Louisville landscape as any other bourbon. People regard it just as highly as they do bourbon. And what I have here, what that sweet cork pop was, was Copper and King's Apple Brandy. And again, it's not apple flavored. This is brandy made from apple juice. So, you know, when you make regular brandy, you have to make it from grape juice. You basically have to make wine and then distill that wine. Apple brandy is made from apple juice or apple wine, that is then distilled into an apple brandy. Again, 92 proof apple brandy that was aged in American oak barrels and then finished in Kentucky bourbon barrels. And yeah, there's nothing bashful or timid about this. Copper King's is in an area of Louisville known as Butchertown, which is where all the old slaughterhouses are. Uh, And on a Sunday afternoon, there's not really anything out there. Um, and when we got there, we thought like it's closed. It seems so desolate. Great, great stuff. Um, in their tour, they get, they take you down into their aging room where they do sonic aging. Uh, it's not necessarily Metallica, uh, from what I remember, whoever is working the aging room on that particular day gets to pick the music. So sometimes it's classical, sometimes it's pop, sometimes it's metal, whatever it is. Uh, but again, they believe in sort of the vibrations, Uh, And there is some science to that as well. Uh, You get to see their Copper Pot Alambic Stills, something you don't get to see at bourbon distilleries because nobody's using Copper Pot Alambic Stills. Uh, And as part of my tour, when I was there, I get to actually bottle my own bottle of pear brandy straight off the barrel, which I finally just finished this week in hopes that it will be replaceable when I get down there. Uh, and my best friend, Murph, who comes over and we drink scotch. Um, every time he hangs out, I've talked about this before. I usually go to bed early. Um, and when we wake up in the morning, he's always saying like, hey, uh, I had a little bit of that pear brandy last night before I went to bed, and, which is fine because that's what it's there for is to share with people. And in fact, I, I spoke to him uh, today. Because when I get back from Louisville next week, I'm going up to Hampton to go to see Buddy Guy, who is, you know, the last of the living great blues legends with my friend Murph. And he said, well, hey, when you're in Kentucky, are you going to that place that has the pear brandies?" (laughs) The hope is that I'll be bringing back another bottle of pear brandy. All right. Copper and King's apple brandy. Here we go. This is not sweet. It's oaky. It's got a nice bite from that 92 proof. The apple flavor is subtle. Great for cocktails, great for sipping, great for fall in New England because this is apple land up here. Absolutely, just a sadly overlooked bottle, but absolutely fantastic. And again, if you're going to Louisville, make sure you schedule a visit to uh, Copper and Kings. All right, I'm going to take one more break when I come back. I got a couple bottles, a couple of distillery stories to share. uh, And then I'm going to tell you my very old Barton story. So, uh, yeah, I'll be back in a second. All right, I am back and, you know, talking about. Kentucky in, in Louisville in a place where I'm going to be in just a few short days. And I cannot, I can't stress this enough guys. I cannot wait to be back there. Um, I've been down there, like I said, twice for, for bourbon purposes, and they have both been magical, magical experiences for the most part. You know, sometimes the, the company you keep can kind of throw things off. I'm going to see if I can, I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, there we go. That's actually a little, a little nip that I just opened up, uh, to taste. Yeah. I mean, they were both magical places and I was thinking of it, you know, while I was on break there of like, what are the top five places for me to recommend to you guys? If you guys are going to go to Louisville, um, five things you absolutely positively need to check out when you go there. And this list is obviously based on what I have already experienced and not what I'm about to experience. And I have a feeling that, you know, by the time I get back, I may have to alter this list a little bit. Um, But I mean, number one, Buffalo trace, you have to go to Buffalo trace. Buffalo trace is just absolutely fantastic. It's amazing. Um number 2 Wild Turkey without a doubt of all the distilleries that I went to um Wild Turkey was just it was awesome and I know people go like really Wild Turkey the grounds that it's on are fantastic um the the visuals are unbelievable their visitor center which was brand new uh just gorgeous um you know, there's it's just so picturesque, and the rickhouses. You know, they're it's so great that there's like this bourbon boom, and they're building new rickhouses and new distilleries and all this sort of state of the art stuff. But when you go to a place like Buffalo Trace or a Wild Turkey or a Four Roses, you're stepping back in time. This is not state of the art. This is the way it's been done. Has always been done for you know. 100 years, it's just, it's like walking with ghosts. You feel like the Rick houses are haunted. And one of my favorite stories from when I was down there was, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately I didn't get to see him, but Jimmy Russell, apparently, you know, when he's not out doing master distiller stuff, which is pretty much just PR stuff, um, he's usually hanging around the distillery and hanging around the grounds. And one day uh, this woman came in who was selling bourbon flavored chocolates and she was pitching them to whoever is the buyer for the gift center at wild turkey and jimmy russell just happened to be there and said hey can i try one and uh you know the woman obliged and gave jimmy russell a taste and he bit into this chocolate and as the story was conveyed to us uh he kind of paused for a moment and he looked at the woman he said evan Williams." Great chocolate, but why would I carry Evan Williams in my distillery? Um, And they say that that's how good of a palate that Jimmy Russell has. Um, And when you go there too, you know, we as as customers kind of have these battle lines of, you know, is Knob Creek better than Maker's Mark? Is it better than Elijah Craig? Is it better than Buffalo Trace? When you go down there. They all know each other, especially the old guard, you know, you know, Freddie, no, and Booker, no new Jimmy Russell and Eddie Russell and Parker beam. And, you know, Harlan, like these guys all know each other. Um, and while it's competitive in a friendly way that they always want to make the best possible product uh, every place we went, they would say like, Hey, where are you going next? Oh, we're going to four roses. Hey, if you get Joe as your tour guide, tell him that we said, hello, so they, it really is that kind of close knit community, and you really do feel that um, when you're there. Uh, you know, to the point that they tell the story, and you know, you can look this up that there was a big fire at Heaven Hill at one point, and they lost a ton of stock of whiskey. And other distilleries like Jim Beam allowed them to go in and distill at their facility to try to get some of the whiskey back. You know, Jim Beam sold them some whiskey uh, as well as some of the other distilleries so that they could keep their stock going. It really is that kind of community. Now, I don't know what it's like with some of the, the young bloods on the block, you know, how the guys at New Riff or Rabbit Hole or Jepp the Creed, uh, you know, get along with some of the old regime. I've got to assume it's just sort of all kind of love and, and hanging out um with that so the nip that i just cracked the first time i ever tasted this was at wild turkey um and what a day that was i mean there was literally just three of us uh my friend chris uh the bso uh and myself and it was just we were the only ones on the ground i don't even think the distillery was open yet uh it was just us and the tour guide and maybe the person working the gift shop setting up and you know when you wrap up the tour and especially at wild Turkey, wild Turkey in their gift shop, much like all the other ones, you know, there was different bottlings of Russell's reserve single barrel there that are only available there. So again, that's just another perk of going to visit these distilleries. Uh, And, you know, we tasted through uh, the bourbon, the rye, we may have tasted uh, forgiven or one of the bottling. And then we tried this and this is the American honey Sting. Maybe you're going like flavored whiskey. Really? That's what you're going to talk about. Absolutely. Look, if the product is good, the product is good. And American honey from wild Turkey was, I do believe the first honey whiskey um, that was made in Kentucky. Or that was made available for, for major release. And then this one came out many years later. The American Honey Sting. So this is the American Honey Whiskey, which is wild turkey bourbon mixed with honey. And then it's got ghost peppers added to it. This stuff is is just fantastic to me. Um, you know, it mixes great with lemonade. It mixes great for, you know, ginger beer for a really spicy cocktail. But sometimes things are just perfect. In a 50-milliliter nip as a shot. And that's what I've got right here in front of me. In fact, I don't even think they bottle this in 750s anymore. I think it's only available in nips. But I'm going in. I'm going after it. Mm. Bourbon and honey are a natural pair as it is. And then you get that little bit of sting from the ghost pepper. And it's not its not hot. It's not going to burn your throat. It's not going to give you heartburn. It's just enough pinch of that pepper to kind of cut through the back end of the sweetness and keep this well, well balanced. That is, oh man, it's such a, it's, it's a go-to shot for me. And yeah, I'm not above doing shots. I'm not above going to an outdoor concert, tailgating, and bringing a sleeve of nips to kind of do shots with my friends as a communal thing. This is, without a doubt, an absolute go-to shot for me. Um, So yeah, number one, you've got to go to Buffalo Trace. Number two, Wild Turkey. Uh, number three, I would say Four Roses. The architecture is just stunning, um, and the whiskey's great. Number four, Jim Beam, uh, without a doubt. And make no mistake, like, I loved going to Heaven Hill. Um, I didn't so much love going to Woodford Reserve. But the top four, without a doubt, just Buffalo Trace, Wild Turkey, Four Roses, Jim Beam. Now, again, I have a feeling that when I come back, after having visited Maker's Mark, Maker's Mark is going to be up there one or two. One, because the whiskey's fantastic. Two, I've seen pictures of the farm and the land that it sits on. Um, I've gotten to know Rob Samuels, uh, who's a great person. I love the brand. I love the story. Uh, but looking at pictures of the property before I get there, uh, it just looks magnificent and I cannot wait, uh, to get there as far as food goes. When you go down there, um, the, a place that I went the first time I was there, a place that I went the last time I was there and the place that I'm already scheduling my first meal when we go back against the grain brewery, um, And what's great about downtown Louisville is there's so much stuff right on main street. I mean, starting from angels envy. And if you go across the street from angels, envy is against the grain brewery. Uh, They make beer, you know, obviously we're in Louisville, we're in bourbon country, uh, but there's other things going on there and against the grain makes really good beer. Their restaurant is also a barbecue smokehouse and the food, you know, When you travel to a place and you want to go back to the same restaurant, that to me is an indication of how good and how memorable uh, the food is. It was the first time I ever had real chicharrones or cracklings, uh, as they're called, which are deep fried pork skin. And you understand why they're called crackling uh, when you order them for real because they come out and you can still hear them crackling on the plate. Uh, I, I distinctly remember, uh, pork belly on a stick. Basically they were just big giant bacon lollipops. And then they do a whole barbecue spread of, you know, pulled chicken and pulled pork and smoked Turkey and brisket. And it's just, the food was fantastic. Uh, that is where I get to try William heaven Hill for a ton of money and What's great is, you know, the people I'm going with, some of them drink whiskey. Some of them don't. Um, Some people like cocktails. I'm not a big, I like cocktails, but again, there tends to be more sugar in them. So, you know, Against the Grain is a place that offers great cocktails, great selection of whiskey, uh, obviously good beer, incredible food, all very, very affordable And it's located right next door to the Louisville Slugger Baseball Stadium. And outside of the stadium, they have sort of a a Major League Baseball walk of fame, where instead of stars being set into the sidewalk, there's actually home plates that are set into the sidewalk. um, You know, with names like Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner and Babe Ruth and Ted Williams, all the greats it's kind of a baseball walk of fame right outside of the Louisville slugger uh, stadium. All right. So I mentioned makers Mark and that's one of the places that I'm going, you know, when we get down there, my first day, we're going to Stitzel Weller. uh, Then we're going to the Louisville zoo, which I'm actually just excited to go to the Louisville zoo as I am to go to the rest of the distilleries. Um, you know, I, I I, kind of, you know, I talked about if you go to a whole bunch of distilleries, especially bourbon ones, the tours kind of get monotonous. And I wanted to put some effort in this time to do some stuff in Louisville that wasn't just spirit-based uh, for my own interest. And again, you know, my girlfriend is joining me. Uh, she'll be my designated driver because limestone... And Luxrow won't let you do Sparrow picks there without having a designated driver, so she's gonna be there driving me. Um, but I I also wanted to do stuff that we could both enjoy that didn't necessarily have something to do with drinking, um, and that was one of the things that I set up uh, a light show at the Louisville Zoo the day we get in. Day two, I start my day at Copper and Kings. We've talked about Copper and Kings, uh, and then that afternoon, what to me is the pinnacle of the whole trip. I know I'm going down there to do barrel picks, but the distillery I'm most excited to go to is Makers Mark. I got to meet Rob Samuels, like I said, a few months back, um, who was just a, a great guy. And again, I love the story. I love the history. I love the fact that Makers Mark has never sold off any of their liquid to anybody else. And they've never bought liquid from anybody else to put in their bottle. So every drop of Maker's Mark made at Maker's Mark goes into Maker's Mark. There's no Maker's Mark rye. There's no Eagle Rare, Benchmark, Blanton's. The only thing coming out of Maker's Mark distillery is Maker's Mark. Um, They are located on a national historic um, property at Star Hill. And yeah, just everything that they do is fantastic. And I'm kind of hoping to score one of the the wood finish series because heaven knows we never get to see it up here in Massachusetts. I'm hoping in the gift shop uh, they might have some bottles of that available. Also, um, I think I've talked about it before. Makers Mark does this great ambassadors program that you can go to their website. You can sign up to be on. It used to be easy. You could just go and sign up. Uh, now they actually make you answer some trivia questions. It made it a little bit more difficult to become a brand ambassador, uh, but either way, it's worth it. Every year I get a little little gift in the mail, whether it's a pair of Maker's Mark socks, uh, Maker's Mark puzzle, Christmas ornaments, whatever. And the coolest thing that they do with this ambassador program is they put your name on a barrel when it gets filled. And when that barrel gets ready to be dumped, they send you what's called the golden ticket. You can actually fly down there and buy bottles off of that single barrel. So one of the requests that I put in when I set up my visit to Maker's Mark was I wanted to go see my barrel with my name on it. Um, You know, I have a barrel number uh, and you can go on. You can track it. You can track how long your barrel has been aging uh, when it's estimated to be dumped. All of that stuff, and they send you like this whole kit, and there's a certificate with your barrel number on it. Um, you get these little business cards that say Maker's Mark Brand Ambassador, so it's a really, really cool thing that they do, and that's probably the most excited I am of any of the places to go. And I just poured myself a little bit of Maker's One Hundred One, which is my favorite of all the sort of standard Maker's Mark offerings. And when I get to meet Rob. I had told him, like, you know what? I I love regular Makers. I love Makers Cask. I love Makers 46, Makers 46 Cask. But the one that I love the most is the Makers 101. There's something about that proof point, the way they put that blend together, that just hits me the right way. And Rob kind of looked at me. He got this big smile, and he said, you know what? That was my dad's favorite blend as well, that 101. So I, I maybe that's why we connected, that we both had sort of a similar uh, feeling about that Makers 101, but that's what I've got uh, right here in front of me. Here we go. Hmm. Oh man, that is so. It just hits the right way, you know. It's it reminds me of like like if you made wheat pancakes. It's kind of got. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of moving, shuffling some papers around here. So you. Uh, all right. Yeah, it just hits me like like wheat pancakes that are cooked on a griddle and have a little bit of crispness around them uh, and then they're just kind of drown in maple syrup that's what that makers 101 tastes like to me man that is so so good alright so <laughs> I promised you guys this story and here it is Uh. The greatest drinking story of my life by far. And I don't believe I actually did this and survived it, but I did. So the last time I was in Kentucky, you know, I, I've done this enough times where I know exactly how much, how many bottles I can get in my suitcase without kind of going over the weight limit at the airport. It's six bottles max. Anything more than that, you're probably going to be tipping the scales uh, when they weigh your luggage. When you go to check it, you're not going to be able to get it home. And if you're going and you want to bring bottles back, uh, go to Amazon, look up wine travel bags, and buy some. There are these really thick plastic bags that have bubble wrap on the inside. They zip lock twice. They fold over in Velcro. And that way there, if anything happens in your luggage and these bottles break, the spillage is all self-contained. So here we go. We set the table uh, for the madness. that was my last day in Louisville. And I don't, I don't advocate doing this. Um, this is just something that ended up happening to me that got a little, a little out of hand. Um, so the last day we we're in Louisville, uh, we had to check out of the hotel by 11, but we also had a tour at old Forester at 11. So it was just myself, my friend, the BSO, uh, my boss, Michael had gone home a day early. We get everything packed up, suitcases all zipped up ready to go, and I had space in my suitcase for one more bottle. We were going to Old Forester. I was holding out hope that I would be able to score a bottle of President's Choice at Old Forrester, uh, which, by the way, if you go to Old Forester in Louisville, those bottles are everywhere. And then when you get excited and you go like, can I buy that? They go, yeah, no, that's just there for decoration. Uh, they don't actually let you buy it, but they let you look at it and tease yourself. So we get all our bags packed. And we look over by the TV in the hotel room and realize that there's a bottle that we hadn't packed. And somehow, maybe it's destiny, it just managed to escape us packing it. And it was a bottle of Very Old Barton 90 Proof. We had bought it the day before. And in Kentucky, Very Old Barton is a $10 bottle. Now, with inflation, it's probably 12 or 13 bucks now. But at the time, it was a $10 bottle. It was something I had heard of. And so we grabbed it. And, you know, we had bought it the day before, got back to the hotel. We each did a shot of very old Barton, wound down the night, and whatever. So we wake up the next day, pack everything up. We look over. There's a bottle of very old Barton sitting there. And we're like, oh, shit. Yeah, no, that's a screw cap you just heard. And we're like, well, what are we going to do with it? I don't know. I I got space in my bag for one more bottle. Um, I'm hoping to score. So I don't want to put this one in my bag. But at the same time, like, we're not going to leave a bottle behind. We're We're not animals, you know. It's a full bottle of Ariel Barton. $10 as it was. I'm still not leaving it behind. So we decide, like, all right, well, we'll bring it with us. If we don't come across this bottle that I'm looking for, I'll throw it in my luggage. We'll bring it home. So... To kind of leave the hotel, we do a shot of Very Old Barton. Pack it up, bring it down to the rental car. We drive down to downtown Louisville. We do the tour at Old Forester, which was absolutely amazing. Wrap the tour up, do a sampling of four different uh, Old Forester whiskeys, which I believe were actually the Whiskey Row bottlings. And that was right around the time that 1910 had just come out. And it was such a phenomenon that they sold out instantly and they were just finally getting it back in stock. So they basically used the Whiskey Row series as an educational thing to talk about the history of Old Forester. So we taste all that, go down to the gift shop, buy some swag. I still have my Old Forester T-shirt, some bar gear. We walk back to the car, drop off our swag, take a shot of very old Barton while we're at the car hanging out, go back out into downtown Louisville. We walk down to the Evan Williams experience, where, like I've said before, up here, people don't really recognize Moonshine University. But down there, it's a big deal. So we don't do the tour because we don't really need to do the tour at this point. We had just done Heaven Hill two days before that. But we end up meeting uh, a guy who works there, who sees that I work for uh, who sees that I did the Moonshine University thing, Steven Thief. And we taste through a lineup of Evan Williams stuff that's only available there, including the Blender Select, um, including the 12-year and the 21. We taste through that. I bought a bottle of the Blender Select, which was just so good. Walk back to the car, drop our stuff off, take another belt of very old Barton, lock the car up. We walk the other way. We go down to the Evan Williams experience. We don't taste anything there, but we did buy a bag of uh, assorted nips while we were there. Went next door to the Evan Williams Experience, which, by the way, is closed. Uh, It used to be located on 4th Street Live, which if you're going to Louisville, go check out 4th Street Live. It's awesome. It's just a whole bunch of restaurants and and bars and live entertainment. Great, great spot. Uh, Nice job that they did there in Louisville. We go next door. We have lunch, have a drink, walk back, drop off our swag from Jim Beam try to figure out what to do next. So we go across the street and where we were parked was right across the street from the arena uh, where the university of Louisville Cardinals play basketball. And we went to a bar called the sidebar. So at this point I'm thinking like, this is going to be probably my last drink. And then we've got to drive to the airport. So I had something with chartreuse in it. Yeah. Something tame. And as I'm finishing up the drink, the bartenders asked us if we had done the bourbon trail where we were down there. And we said, no. And she said, oh, well, we're part of something called the Urban Trail. So, of course, we have to ask what that is. And she says, well, it's all the bars and restaurants in downtown Louisville. And we give you this passport. And if you go to six different bars and restaurants and get it stamped, you get a free T-shirt. Well, at this point, we had had a couple of drinks already. Free T-shirt sounds great. We order another drink at the sidebar, get our passport stamped. Go around the corner to a bar called the Troll Under the Bridge Bar, which is where they had Evan Williams Bottled and Bond on draft. So we had a beer and a shot there. Then we left and we went to a place called Down One. Had a drink, got our passport stamped. Then we went to O'Shea's, had a drink, got our passport stamped. Went to Merle's, had a drink, got our passport stamped. Finished up at Doc Crow's. All these places were amazing, by the way, um, one of them we had food at because we realized like, oh boy, we probably should eat something again. Completed the passport,, uh, but then pretty much ran out of time. We didn't get, have a chance to go to the Louisville Visitor Center. Uh, but there is a way you can actually mail it back down to Louisville and they'll send you a t-shirt, which I never did. But I'm bringing my passport back with me. We went back to the car, finished the, the bottle of very old Barton, and then drove to the airport, and here's where it get, so we get to the airport, I turn the rental car in, somehow, we get up to security, and the security guard is going through my backpack, my carry-on, and pulls out a freezer bag with about 30 nips in it, as we're about to get on the plane, and he looked at me, and kind of questioned me, of like, are these all for you, and I turned around, and The BSO was two lines down from me, and he was going through security. I kind of leaned over, and I pointed. I said, no, some of them are for him. Simultaneously, the security guard who was going through his carry-on bag was pulling out the same gallon uh, bag that had about 30 nips in his carry-on. Somehow they let us through uh, security. And just past security, there's a liquor store in the airport in Louisville where we managed to buy some more bourbon, throw it in our carry-ons, And somehow made it back home alive. Um, So to kind of wrap up my trip to Louisville, I have a bottle of very old Barton that uh, four years ago, three years ago, right before COVID hit, I had gone on a road trip to New York to do some bourbon hunting. And on the way back, we cut through Connecticut, ended up in a total wine in Connecticut where they had very old Barton priced at $10 a bottle. Limit one per customer. Um, Sadly, this is not available in Massachusetts, but it is without a doubt one of the best values in bourbon. Very old Barton, made at Barton, obviously. 90 proof. Here we go. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's everything you want out of a $30 bottle of bourbon, but you're only paying $10 for it. All right, there it is. My recollections on Louisville, my hopes for the upcoming trip to Louisville. And the next time we talk, I will have been in Louisville. Um, I can't, can't wait. Uh, And I can't wait to share this journey with you guys. Um, So thank you for sticking around and indulging me on this. Uh, And if you're still listening at this point and you like what I'm doing, you guys know the drill. Go to the podcast page, click the follow button, give it a five-star rating, share it out on your social media. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram for all my updates from Louisville, where you can message me through both of those platforms. And for everything else, you can reach me at the spirits guide, 89 at gmail.com. Thank you again, guys. Stay tuned. Facebook and Instagram pictures of everything and everywhere that I go. I can't wait to share it with you. And I can't wait to talk to you again after I get back. Um, have a great week, guys. Cheers. Yay.